we are a community full of self-reliant people. That's been our mantra from day one. We own our own municipal utilities. A lot of people own their own water and sewer and garbage. We also own gas and electric. It's been that way for a long, long time. And that's what's really laid the foundation for our financial resiliency that we have here. We have low, low utility rates. No one can compete with them. And I can tell you it's going to be that way for a long, long time in the future. I can't see that ever changing. That's good for us. And what we can continue to do is look at how we can utilize our strengths such as that to catapult us forward. And we can take some risks and make some greater investments because we know that's a solid thing that isn't going to change. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. What's good, everyone? My name is Jacob Moses, community builder at Strong Towns, and I'm taking over the Strong Towns podcast this week to share on-the-ground stories from the final four communities in our Strongest Town competition, which includes Beloit, Wisconsin, Winona, Minnesota, Hamilton, Missouri, and Watertown, South Dakota, about how they've embraced Strong Towns principles to make their community stronger. In this episode, I chat with Sarah and Michael of Watertown, South Dakota. Give it a listen, and if you're inspired by the steps Watertown has taken to become more financially strong and resilient, visit strongtowns.org slash journal slash final dash four to submit your vote. Thanks, everyone, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Sarah and Michael of Watertown, South Dakota. Hey there, Sarah and Michael. How are y'all doing today? Great. Doing well. Thank you. So happy to hear it. How's life in Watertown, South Dakota these days? Well... Aside from the COVID stuff, we're doing yes. really well, actually. There's a lot going on in Watertown right now, and we had a pretty high-spirited town up until the recent stuff, which has put us on edge, but sure, we'll get through it. Sure, Understandably so. Well, first off, congratulations on advancing to the final four of the Strongest Town competition. I know as we discussed a little bit offline before we started this recording, I know I speak on behalf of the entire Strongtown staff and the rest of the Strongtown's movement when I say just how much we enjoyed learning more about Watertown, South Dakota throughout this whole process. You guys shared some really compelling stories about the great work you've done to become more financially resilient, how you've observed opportunities to you know, improve your resiliency and how you're responding to those observations. And now we get an opportunity to dig in a little bit into these stories and hopefully give listeners some background into all the great things Watertown is doing to become more financially resilient. To get us started, Sarah and Michael, would you mind taking a moment just introducing yourselves and sharing, you know, where you fit in the Watertown community? Sure. Well, I'm Sarah Karen. I'm the mayor of Watertown and I did not grow up in Watertown. I chose Watertown as an adult, as a place where I wanted to raise my family. And I shopped around communities all over. I knew I wanted to live in the Midwest, but I chose Watertown for all of the wonderful 
things that it has to offer here. And I still love it today. I've been here for 25 years and just think it's the best place on earth. Fantastic. What about you, Michael? Sure. Uh, my, my story is a little more sporadic, but I'll, I'll condense it for you. We actually homesteaded out here in the 1880s, so we've been around for a minute. But um, <laughs> aside from that, my folks and a whole whole family, they're all from around here. I grew up in Watertown. Um, of course, when I graduated high school, went off to undergraduate in Brookings, South Dakota, and then went to graduate school down in Kansas City, and then ended up going out to Seattle to work for a little bit, joined the active duty army as an officer. And then uh, once I finished up my time with that, I came back home to be closer to my family. And I rechose Watertown as well. Um, we were in between, my wife's from Kansas City, so we could have chose there, but ended up choosing to come back home. So now I'm back here. I'm a city council member in a small business here, and then still working in the National Guard. So there you go. What are you doing in the small business game? Uh, I am a brewer, so I help run a brewery. Very good. That's fantastic. Well, Sarah and Michael, so happy you guys could join us today. Before we dig into some of the success stories happening in Watertown, I want to flash forward back, you know, a few weeks. I'm curious, throughout this time that you guys have lived in Watertown, of course, served as, in Sarah's instance, mayor, Michael, you as a council person. I'm curious, what have you all observed in Watertown that inspired y'all to participate in this Strongest Town competition? Well, I have to say... I'm a civil engineer, and I've worked as a planner, and I heard Chuck Marone speak about the Strong Town ideas, maybe even before Strong Towns was a thing, and I just absolutely agreed with all of the principles as a civil engineer and as a planner. I think the Strong Towns principles are spot on. And one of the things I love about Watertown and chose Watertown as my home is the strength of this community. This community has built upon the strong town principles from the very beginning. It's been a sustainable community and it's been fiscally responsible all along. And so I just love it. That's part of what I like about it. And hearing about this contest, it just has Watertown, South Dakota, written all over it. <laughs> yes, I know reflecting back on those submissions, that strength of the community that you mentioned was so apparent and really obvious from many of the partnerships that you've had that I want to dig more into here in a little bit as well. Michael, what about you? What were you observing? Um, so for me personally, I, I mentioned a little bit before the podcast, but Ward C, the ward that I'm actually the council member for, is our downtown. Growing up in town, we've seen a lot of growth throughout the community. So me personally, like being part of a small music scene that's been here on and off for the last 20 years, being a member of that, knowing that we have an art scene. I was a theater major, so I always appreciate the little bits of art that are going on in the community. But the downtown itself is a great example of where the cities continue to grow. I'm a pretty big uh, Chuck Marone fan as well. <laughs> so yes, I, I sit here going, streets are liabilities. Every council meeting, anything. <laughs> about, you know, street, I love it. Can we fund it? I love it. Get the money. But, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where the community has remained small and tight. The, the big urban sprawl that's happened across the country hasn't been such a big issue here. And pleasantly, in the last, I'd say, 10 years, there's been a huge resurgence in our downtown. 
we suffered what a lot of folks did where malls were developed in the 80s. It pulled a lot of business out of our central heart of our community to our little highway on the edge of town. And that's where it all kind of went. And it really impacted that downtown in a negative way. But in the last 10 years, holy smokes, has the downtown come back with a vengeance and we're starting to see some crazy development. So for me, that is probably most where I was like, man, we're an absolute fit just because the town built out of necessity. We we started as a railroad town. We built little wooden shacks by that railroad and then those turned into stone structures and then they turned into bigger structures that made more sense. It's funny because we talk about like buildings being butted next to each other, sharing walls and stuff. And like in the winter in South Dakota, it gets real cold. My business shuts off the heat every night and you come back in the next morning and the worst it ever gets down to is 55 degrees. <laughs> so like there's, there's strength in that. So that's, that's part of where I'm like, you know what? We, we, we could do a run at this. That's fantastic, Michael. Let's talk a little bit more about the downtown. I'm sure in Watertown, as we see in, you know, most communities across North America, our downtowns, our main streets are usually the community's most financially productive neighborhoods. You know, most of them, as I assume was happening in Watertown as well, um, were developed pre-World War II. So they have this fantastic development pattern, as you've mentioned, Michael, with the shared walls, narrow streets, wide sidewalks, really making the best use of um, the finite land resources that we have. It's really exciting to hear that you've noticed a shift of a lot more investment, a lot more you know, community wealth happening in the downtown. Walk us through a little bit of how this went down. Um, I imagine, of course, a lot of the citizens contributed their ideas, um, the gaps that they wanted to fill in downtown in particular. Where did the city of Watertown fit in this process of you know, making it easier, lowering that barrier to entry to actually participate and contribute to downtown? Sure, I can talk about that. We did, as Michael said, see the same kind of exodus from our downtown to the malls before online shopping became a thing. And now those malls are suffering because online shopping is a thing and they're dying. I think that contributes to the interest in the downtown because it's old and the buildings aren't built to have the huge box store type attraction, which is fading away now. We're seeing more niche type developments that are going in and services. And it's really the the fuel for the economy is these small, simple, easy to start up and quick to turn around type of businesses can go in overnight. And if they take off, great. There's plenty of opportunity and room for them to expand and help from the community to help them grow and thrive. If it doesn't work out, you know, it's not a big deal. It wasn't a huge investment to start a little business in a small space. And so something else will take its place. Right now in our downtown, you cannot find an empty storefront. Everything's full and there's construction equipment all over. We're seeing all kinds of new development happening. And the cornerstone of our downtown is an ancient building. It's the Opera House that was built 1889. 1889 is when it converted its fire. So it had a fire in like 1887 and then it switched over to construction of stone in 1889 because, you know, stone doesn't burn as easily. But one of three left in the state actually. So 
going through a huge renovation right now. But the cost of entry that you mentioned, it's actually been really unique because Watertown has what's called the Watertown Development Company, who has aided a ton. They've made it their mission to revitalize our downtown. So they hopped right in. They facilitate that with basically rent to own spaces in some instances. Um, there's no parking minimums. Um, on top of that, they so they have revolving loans as well. So like if you wanted to do some renovation on the front of your building or something, you can get a revolving low interest loan to allow you to make those renovations and upgrade your building and basically just be incentivized to come use this space. And every one of these spaces, the best part is that they're mixed use. There's housing above them. And then we've got commercial spaces below. Even cooler, the development that's going on right now with the de developer who's actually putting a lot of stuff in right now, every one of those buildings is a mixed use building with apartments above it and underground parking. Right. And our downtown is like a lot of other downtowns that they built up when we didn't have such a thing as a parking lot. And everybody built right up to the property line. And as you said, the streets are narrow. We recently did a charrette for our downtown a few years ago. And the community came together and came up with a plan to make our downtown even better. One of the things that came out of that was putting our one-way streets downtown to two-way and believe it or not, there was a lot of controversy in that. For me, it was like, yes, finally, I hate the one-way streets. People were worried that their streets are too narrow to have two-way traffic, and vehicles are really big now. Everyone drives a Suburban, and in Watertown, South Dakota, a lot of people drive extended cab pickups. Certainly, we can't do that here. But guess what? We did, and it's awesome. Uh, traffic's slower, but it's better, and people are looking around, and it's it's really made downtown more of a place where you can hang out. And we also recently passed a downtown overlay district with standards for development in our downtown that would keep it in the um, appealing type of aesthetic and avoid the low cost materials on the outside of buildings and make the place walkable and inviting. On top so, of that too, I mean, we've even started converting a lot of our stoplights to stop signs Yeah, just because it makes sense to do such a huge investment on those stoplights when all we needed was four-way stop. You know? Right. And the four-way stops function just fine. And as a civil engineer, I can tell you those streetlights were not warranted. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all should have seen the response in my community. I, I live in Denton, we have a small college town with a really thriving downtown and thinking back to that story you just shared, Sarah, of you know converting your your one way streets to two way streets about a year ago, we we turned or what used to be you know normal pull in parking into back end parking and paired it with a road diet. And golly, the community went nuts. No one knew what back end parking was. <laughs> it showed in their attempts of at parking, but it was, it was you're right. It was it was a hard conversation to have. It was new for people at first but it has totally contributed to the streetscape. We're seeing much safer areas to walk, a lot of businesses being developed on the border of it. So it's right. Um, as we focus on our downtowns, create more walkable places, whether that's through bike lanes or we actually revisiting the design of our places. It does a lot for you know actually building more financially productive places. Right. And our downtown is unique in that it isn't just a main street. There are side streets and actually parallel streets that contain businesses. And it's, for a town our size, actually pretty large. 
And we have a wonderful grocery store downtown. So people who live downtown can do everything within walking distance. That's pretty unique. And I don't know if even our residents in our town realize how fortunate we are to have our grocery store downtown. Not every town has that. And I know it's quite rare living down here as well. I, I live not even a mile from the downtown. So I walk to work every day. I can walk to the grocery store, stop at the bank, pick up whatever I need to. And it's just perfect. It's, it's easy, easy walkable area. And especially with those lower traffic speeds, I've no issues with traffic and getting across the road or feeling like it's not yeah. at all. Right. That's fantastic, Michael. I want to talk a little bit more about the strength of the community in Watertown. Michael, I know you mentioned there was this particular investment company that's really spearheaded the redevelopment of downtown, you know, making it easier for folk to open up a business, actually giving them the incentive to do so. And this was really apparent throughout y'all's entries as well. It was very obvious that there was a strong public-private partnership in Watertown. Everyone understand that, hey, we have a shared goal. We want to make this not only a livable place, but a financially productive place. Could you talk a little bit more about these public-private partnerships happening in Watertown and how that's contributed to the financial resiliency of the community? Well, it's it's been a long Long process, I'll, t- I'll tell you that. I mean, we had a development company before Watertown Development Company that didn't work out, and we pivoted, and we're lucky enough to form that partnership with our current entity to make this happen, and they've knocked it out of the park. But, I mean, Watertown has a history of public-private partnership that's really paid off in the long run. I mean, I can toss this off to Sarah. She'll be able to answer this a little more articulately than I could. So, Well, our Watertown Development Company has been around since the 1940s. So it's been part of our community's mission to have a, an entity which is funded by both public agencies, the city, the county, our municipal utilities, and the private businesses. And there are 75 partners or something in this organization. And the money goes to fund anything that strengthens our town. The Watertown Development Company, it's our secret weapon. We we really have an opportunity that others that don't have such an entity just can't even dream of doing the things that we do. But our Watertown Development Company is there for businesses, small, large, and businesses that don't even exist yet. It helps people come to our town. It helps people expand in our town. It helps businesses invent themselves. And whatever benefits our town, that development company is right there helping it. And the reason it can do that, everyone rallies around it. There's one Watertown development company, and it pulls all of the different entities together. So we work hand in hand with the Watertown development company and doing what we want as a community to happen for our town. I think it's worth mentioning, too, that we've actually got the um, Watertown Community Foundation as well. The, yes. I mean, they kill it. So essentially we've been chipping funds into, well, into a fund and they continue to increase every year, but they fund all sorts of projects. So if, if you wanted to get a grant, essentially reach out, say you have a project that you wanted to work on, you can reach out for a grant and they aid in it. So right now the city is looking at constructing a downtown park because we're trying to build a green space in our downtown. And it's, a nice small downtown park with outdoor ice rink is one of the things we're looking at with that. 
a band shell, a splash pad for folks in the summer, because currently we don't have like a park or green space for children that live down here or even just people to be out and about in the sunshine. But um, the community foundation was kind enough to grant us a huge donation to make that happen. And the only reason we were able to get it is because that existed in the first place to support it. It's not just for that downtown green space. They contribute to so many things. Right. Our community foundation was the first in the state of South Dakota and many other, including the state's community foundation, were formulated after the model that we set. And it does give us the opportunity for those who are able to make a philanthropic gift much like the United Way functions. And then the community foundation has the money that's invested by really competent people who've been able to keep the money thing going just right. And the excess money is spent on projects that benefit our community. It's a fantastic testimony, Sarah Michael, and a great example of, you know, what as strong times we call you know, a bottom-up revolution, like in the example of the Community Foundation, and I'm going to butcher, I don't recall the first one, Community Company, what was it called? Watertown Development Company. Watertown Development Company. I imagine, yeah, perhaps they rely on some state grants for funding, but it sounds like for the most part, say if state funding was cut off, these would still be, for the most part, pretty viable entities that can continue to contribute to the community. Is that correct? Absolutely correct, yes. Fantastic. That's fantastic. And I imagine it's great to actually have an entity in town that as Watertown continues to succeed, new financially productive developments, new homegrown businesses. Is it a cool feeling to be able to point to a local entity and say, this is because of these guys in our community, or as opposed to having to rely on just the state government or maybe federal grants? What's that feeling like for you all? Oh, it's great. I mean, I sincerely, if you walk like the down, actually most of Watertown, but if you walk the down, we're not a huge community, so we don't pull massive chains in just because we don't have numbers, of course, to pull a huge conglomerate like company. But like for us, most of the businesses that we do have are locally owned. So when you contribute to those, that has first and third order effects like constantly. We're always adding, I mean, you make a purchase locally. What is it? 20, 49 cent on the dollar. There's a large portion of that that's going to circle back in. So like for us, Watertown Brewing Company, we buy our meat from the local grocery store, from their butcher. And then that money goes back into them and then it circles back into the community. If one of us were to close, it's not like we're our, all the funds are going to magically dry up and go to a state away from us. They stay local. And so we're blessed that we have that kind of resiliency in our downtown or just in the community itself. It's been a community of a lot of go-getters and upstarts to make this thing happen. And that's been constant in Watertown's history. If you look back at us, even in the early 1900s, a term that was used to describe Watertown all the time was boosterism. So we would always be advocating for ourselves. There's a reason the railroad popped up the way it did around here. Um, they were advocating to be the state capital for a long time, which if you ever go into the Dakota history, it's really interesting to see how our capitals came into existence because we became states like simultaneous-ish. When we became states, it's still contentious which one came first, North or South Dakota. But, oh, it's weird. It's a goofy history. But Watertown has been here that whole time and continued to grow naturally and organically as the market demanded it without huge sprawl. So, I mean, we're lucky. I, I've lived elsewhere where it's a, quite a drive to get from one place to another. And luckily, Watertown, you can get across it and 
10 minutes at the worst. So Beautiful. Sarah and Michael, let's talk about some opportunities where Watertown can improve. You know, as always, at Strong Towns, we don't believe that any town is like the perfect depiction of the strongest town. We, we understand that this is an ongoing process. You know, there's not a five-point plan to become a strong town. There's nothing too prescriptive, but it's just a matter of, okay, we're acknowledging this struggle. What's the next smallest thing we can do to address that struggle to not only build more community wealth for our constituents, but also just to improve the overall budget of our communities? Y'all had a note in your entry acknowledging that within the state of South Dakota, the city of Watertown, its constituents have a, a lower median income compared to other cities and the state as a whole. First of all, just a huge love for you all for just acknowledging that struggle and wanting to take some next steps to try to maybe you know address it and improve the median income of your constituents. I know this is a very complex challenge. There isn't, you know, any kind of policies that we can adopt to fix it in one week, one month, or one year even. But I'm curious. It's obvious that you guys are starting to have these conversations internally. What have those conversations been like? And have you acknowledged, you know, any any first steps, any small bets that we can take to, you know, address that struggle in the community? Sure. I that's an excellent question. It's something that we ponder about all the time. We are a community that strives to meet the needs of all of the citizens and we have our issues, there's no doubt about it. Uh, we have a lack of housing, which is a challenge for us. And so we're we're coming together. We've we did a housing study it pretty much said what we already knew, but gave us numbers. We have a desperate need for housing in every single category of housing. So we're working on that. The Watertown Development Company is working on that with us. We've had numerous housing projects popping up, and it's going to take us a long time before we've satisfied that need adequately. So that's one of our big challenges that we can we are working on that and things are improving. Just You can look out the window every direction that you look. There's housing projects going up. But to answer that need, we've done several things recently. We looked into our zoning code and, for instance, we know that the fastest growing segment of our community is the older folks that are outside of the working age, and we want to keep them here because that we want families to remain intact. And if the parents move away, then the kids will probably move away. We have changed our zoning regulations in order to allow smaller lots with smaller frontage on the road and maximum coverage on the lot so that you get a small structure on this small lot. You can pack more in. That segment of our community doesn't want three stories or a basement even. They they want a small place that's easy to maintain. They're no longer raising a family, so they can do with a smaller home if they want to be independent. And we've got this zoning district now, which is perfect for infill. And we're, we're starting to see that it's coming up in parts of our town which have already developed and are kind of falling to the wayside 
or maybe deteriorating a little bit, this type of zoning is perfect for that because you can take a small area, create numerous lots and have a neighborhood feeling. And it gives an option that we don't have right now. Before we did this, the smallest lot size that we had in our toolbox was 75 feet of frontage and 9,000 square feet. Now that's huge. That's huge. This is a need. And uh, I mean, it's (laughs) tiny lots are good. I mean, we had tiny lots in the old part of our town. And every single time they come for a building permit, they had to go for a variance because their lot's too small. And no, we've changed our regulations to address that. We adopted an R2A zone to um, accommodate those existing smaller lots. And then we created our R1 compact zone, which creates a single family small lot zone. So um, we, we are trying to create options for housing in lots of different ways and, and to encourage the infill development. Our, in fact, our comprehensive plan encourages infill development, and we believe that's what it's all about. I, I didn't disclose this up front. I'm 30, so I'm, 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 I have a young working family. I was away from this state for 11 years. So I've, I've been removed. I came back every Christmas, of course, see the family and everything. And so I could always see change, but it's kind of a, it's a combination of things. For me, what I think we struggle with, because like many Midwestern states, we suffer from brain drain. So these college educated kids, they go off elsewhere. So for me, it, it's creating that draw and Watertown does a good job of it, but we're continuing to grow in it. A lot of that has to do with the quality of life amenities that, we have and we're continuing to work on. We have a ton of parks and trails. You can go camping around here. We've got a fully accredited zoo, which is pretty wild considering our population. Yeah, for real. So bears, big cats, otters, monkeys, all, all that good stuff. Don't forget Linus the Sloth. Don't forget Linus the <laughs> <laughs> But, um, you know, we've got ball fields, field house, ice arena, the, the opera house, of course, Redland Art Center. I mean, we're blessed. We have two great local artists, Terry Redland. Uh, Josh Spees, but in a state-of-the-art wellness center too, but we're, we're continuing to grow still. And it's making these things that can draw our young population back here, make them feel comfortable. Because a lot of us, we move to a city and it's fun for a while, but then you kind of miss what was valuable in these other places. With the internet and connectivity, it's gotten better, but we're still developing that workforce that wants to be here. You don't see a ton of little graphic design firms. You don't You don't see that little, like, custom guitar shop or what have you, a lot of these young folks are still kind of finding their niche in Watertown and how they want to carve it out. Right now, we're a pretty blue collar community. We're blessed with that. Um, We have great manufacturing in the area. And I mean, with COVID going on right now, we're lucky that a lot of them are staying open and staying functional. So they've they've taken good care of us. Um, But we continue to grow with Lake Area Tech, which is our little nationally recognized technical institute yeah number one in the country right, right. Did I read that correctly yeah that's First fantastic Obama visited i mean it was a big deal so like yeah it, it's real. a great little technical college now we've uh we changed our designation it's not institute anymore it's college it, it's building that accessibility because like for me coming back and moving back here the housing was the issue for us people in my age bracket we're buying up really old historic homes that have a little bit of a fixer upper element, you know, God bless that show for invigorating us to renovate. 
you know, that that's where the affordable market is for a lot of us younger folks. I, and I was talking about the small lot thing because my house was built in 1924 and my I, I barely have a yard. I'm like, I can mow it in 10 minutes. So, <laughs> um, but, you know, it's a beautiful home, original woodwork and stuff, but it's finding more opportunities for young families and people with lesser means to be able to purchase a comfortable, livable home that, you know, you don't have to bat an eye at. We're, we're blessed that we don't have a huge crime rate or anything in town not a high surge of like violent crime. So there's safe neighborhoods everywhere, but it's continuing to develop those because a lot of those starter homes that existed post-World War II, well, the folks that moved into them never moved out of them and they continue to improve them. So they're not really starter homes anymore. So building that community and we have a lot of apartment complexes going up in the downtown, but we still got to create that permanent option for people where they can buy a livable single family home that's uh, going to be in their budget. I mean, it's it's tough with college debt for a lot of people, but finding that way to make it happen. Right. And I want to add to the mixed use developments are where it's at right now. We're seeing so much of that going on. And it's, it's great because you've got businesses on the main floor and apartment living up above, or you, you can have a place where a person could buy the building, live upstairs, and run a business down below. And that really helps to get established. And maybe later they'll buy a freestanding single-family home in a neighborhood somewhere else. But people can start out and get going in life in Watertown, and, and we make it easy for them. You could even start a brewery. Yeah, like Michael. I, started, I didn't start the brewery. I, I walked into that one, but gotcha. <laughs> but um, contribute that brain power. That's right. It, towards a brewery or whatever of, one would want to open. All those years of brewing in a garage and then transferring it over, right? I love it. I love it. <laughs> and what's really compelling about this story, I know we're talking about um, the income of your constituents. I haven't had the pleasure of visiting Watertown, but as you've described its development pattern, I imagine that no matter what economic shifts we might see, it doesn't sound like we'll ever get to the point with Watertown's long-term liabilities that you'll have to gouge your constituents with higher taxes. I mean, we contrast this to other communities we've seen where whenever you compare um, the long-term deficit of their infrastructure and then compare it to um, the taxes that they bring in, you have about $16 million deficit, which will never happen. We'll never be able to tax our constituents to cover that deficit as opposed to the work you're doing in Watertown, investing in those existing neighborhoods, allowing them to naturally adapt and evolve, be more flexible with what house is built in the first place, how we evolve and adapt to that home in the future to bring more people into the picture um, is a fantastic testament and really great work you guys are doing in Watertown. Well, there's a super, real quick on that, there's a super cool development that's going in right now that actually has been so intriguing to me. I, I can talk about Generations on, right? Am I cool to talk about that? Go for it. All right, I'm talking about it. <laughs> so, the gentleman secured two old homes, and in the downtown area, this is actually right butting up next to the downtown, and it's for housing over 55 years old, and it's creating a space for seniors and giving them housing specifically. But I love that they're taking an old edge of a neighborhood removing two homes that aren't, you know, they're, they're a little less viable and putting in a complete new housing structure in an existing space with existing infrastructure, with existing roads. 
I just want to high five the guy every time he does it. So yeah, me you, too. You don't see that often, and I'm I'm excited to see use like that. I'm hoping someday maybe we'll get to the point where we can make a program where we incentivize people to go into these old neighborhoods, and if the house isn't viable, remove the house and just rebuild where the infrastructure already is. It's beautiful. Right. Yeah, it's a great example. Well, Sarah and Michael, this has been fantastic. I loved, and again, I speak on behalf of the entire Strong Tense team, just learning more about Watertown throughout this process. You guys are doing a lot of great work. You've humbly also acknowledged where you struggle, taking next steps to address those struggles. It's exactly the kind of thing we want to see in communities all across the country. So again, big love to you all for taking those, those next steps to become a stronger town. Final question for you all. And the goal at Strong Towns is to encourage places to, you know, embrace long-term prosperity, not to, you know, just chase that short-term growth in exchange for long-term liabilities, but really being in it for the long game, having that goal of enduring no matter what shifts we might see in the community. Moving forward, what are some next steps you guys have on the docket for position yourself for better long-term prosperity in Watertown? Well, we are a community full of self-reliant people. That's been our mantra from day one. We own our own municipal utilities. A lot of people own their own water and sewer and garbage. We also own gas and electric. It's been that way for a long, long time. And that's what's really laid the foundation for our financial resiliency that we have here. We have low, low utility rates. No one can compete with them. And I can tell you it's going to be that way for a long, long time in the future. I can't see that ever changing. And so that's good for us. And what we can continue to do is look at how we can utilize our strengths such as that to catapult us forward. And we can take some risks and make some greater investments because we know that's a solid thing that isn't going to change. And and I could say, when you hear the word Watertown, okay, if you fly into our airport, from above, it looks like there's water everywhere. We're in a glacial lakes region. It's beautiful. There's lots of waterfowl hunting, fishing, water sports, outdoor recreation. Then when you land, you see, oh, yeah, there's some dry stuff here. <laughs> and But we have a flood control issue. And it's something that I think if we could tackle that, that would enable us to um, correct some of the problems that we have in our town right now that limit us to a certain degree. And that's a really long-term answer to a problem that, that we need to pick away at as we go. And we have been, but there's so much more that we could do in that regard. And, and we will continue to work on that. Fantastic. Michael, any closing thoughts? Well, I, I got I got two. I, I'm, I'm a small bets guy. So for me, it's wonky neighborhoods, seeing where we yeah. need sidewalk, seeing where we need to paint a crosswalk, and yeah. just, just doing the basic stuff, getting more street lighting up in certain areas, um, and continuing to fight that little grassroots battle for those simple mm-hmm. little things. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a long-term thing. It, it takes time. And Eventually we get there, but if we keep doing the little stuff on top of it and facilitating it, you know, we'll get there and we'll just keep getting more resilient, more strong, staying together as a community. And 
you know, we'll make it happen. So those, those are probably the biggest things. Continuing to make our older neighborhoods more vital, viable, um, more accessible for people to come in. That, that applies to the flood zone stuff that's going on because there are certain parts of town where that flooding is the issue and people won't buy homes there because of flood. So if we can find things to do that are simple and effective and can make those more viable, then great. But again, until then, crosswalks, sidewalks, and streetlights, man. I'm all about it. And those are simple bets and continuing to create, create events, create things that bring your community together. We hosted the inaugural Oktoberfest this year. We had a great St. Patrick's Day. Um, it's just continuing to do these little little projects one at a time. We have Thursday Night Live in the summer that brings people together, live music outside and creating community events because I think what we're all craving in this world of disconnect and world of social media is just a sense of community. And so if we can keep building that, I think we'll be on track. Right. That's really the mortar in the bricks of our community. Beautiful. Well, Strong Towns, we are really excited to follow along. You guys have some great things in the works and can't wait to see how it plays out in Watertown. Sarah and Michael, this has been such a joy. I appreciate taking some time to chat with me. It's been, of course, as I said before, so much fun getting to learn more about Watertown and all the great work you're doing. You've done a fantastic job telling us about your success stories, the small bets you're taking to become a stronger community. If anybody wants to learn more about you all um, over these next few days of voting, um, I know they have the first, the first and second round of entries to look at. Anywhere else on the internet that you encourage people to check out to get some more understanding of the local flavor of Watertown? Sure. We've got a pretty good tourism website. I know you can check out some stuff there. Um, trying to think of it right off the top of my head now. Sorry. <laughs> Don't do math in public, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can just Google Watertown, South Dakota, and holy smokes, you're going to find all sorts of lovely, lovely things. Awesome. And then, too, when you come up and visit us, Jacob, you're going to have to come check it out. Hopefully our co-op will be up and running because there's one. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. So look out. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you all. This has been fantastic. I appreciate you joining me on the podcast and we will chat very soon. Well, thanks for interviewing us. We appreciate it. This was fun. Thanks so much for listening to everyone. And I hope you enjoyed listening to the story of the steps this community has taken to become more financially strong and resilient. Voting is now open to decide who will advance to the final round of the Strongest Town competition. You can submit your vote at strongtowns.org slash journal slash final four. And you have until Friday, March 27th at 12 p.m. Central Time to submit your vote. Thanks for listening, everyone. Talk soon. Taking risk is a necessity to becoming rich. It's also a necessity to go bankrupt. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Just to echo what you said, there are no silver bullet solutions. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. The window is not always open, but if nobody's pushing, then once the window opens, there'll be no chance to go through. 
I like you. I like your vision of the, of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah.